0: Welcome to a new podcast series, The Growing Pandemic, How Innovation and Collaboration Can End Alzheimer's. Brought to you by the Global CEO Initiative on Alzheimer's Disease, or CEOI, this podcast series explores opportunities to accelerate our fight against Alzheimer's disease shared during the 2020 Lausanne Workshop. This convening, held each year in Lausanne, Switzerland, is the world's leading stage for global dialogue on how to speed new innovations in prevention, treatment, and care to those impacted by Alzheimer's. CEOI is an organization of private sector leaders who have joined together to provide business leadership in the fight against Alzheimer's, a growing pandemic that threatens to devastate communities, national health systems, and the global economy if we fail to act. In Episode 3, we'll discuss the value of investing in innovations to address Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's presents a huge, rapidly growing burden for families, health systems, societies, and economies. Yet the full scale of this burden can be difficult to capture and quantify, especially with traditional value assessment frameworks. How can societies measure the full burden of Alzheimer's disease and the benefits provided by potential new therapies? What approaches can ensure adequate incentives for innovation while also ensuring access? To explore these questions, George Vredenberg, convener of CEOI, is joined by leading experts and innovators in value and health economics. David Bloom, Clarence James Gamble Professor of Economics and Demography in the Department of Global Health and Population at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Doreen Rents, Professor of Neurology at Harvard Medical School and Co-Director of the Center for Alzheimer's Research and Treatment at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Charles Macon, Global Head of Medical Health Outcomes at Biogen. Sue Peshin, President and CEO of the Alliance for Aging Research. Inamora Takma, Director of the Healthcare Industries Division at the Ministry of Economy, Trade, and Industry of Japan. Together, they share their perspectives on the direct and indirect costs of Alzheimer's, traditional value assessment frameworks, potential alternative or complementary approaches, and the best paths forward. Please note that the opinions expressed by participants are their own and do not necessarily reflect the positions of the organizations they represent.
1: Now to start us off today, I a group of experts in a discussion on uh, first the cost of AD or shall we say what's the consequence of not acting and intervening. The potential impact of an intervention, the potential impact of prevention measures, and how best to model the value of interventions. David, let's begin with you and the work you're doing to evaluate the cost of Alzheimer's disease.
2: My view here is that the challenge of um, Alzheimer's disease and related dementias, what I'll refer to as ADRD, that challenge is truly colossal. It's colossal because it involves large numbers of people experiencing a relentless diminution of memory, cognition, and social skills that's progressively devastating to both them and their families. But that's just the tip of the iceberg one sees when one attempts to size the full societal burden of ADRD. Sizing that full burden involves taking account of myriad other factors, like, for example, the shadow cost of intensive informal caretaking, the foregone value of productive non-market activities of people with ADRD, and as another example, the burden of ADRD caused comorbidities. And I would say that the future outlook for ADRD is also rather grim, as all business as usual indicators point to these various burdens I've just mentioned increasing rapidly in the coming years. Right now, the burdens of ADRD are heavily concentrated among the wealthy industrial countries. But in the coming decades, those burdens will shift decisively to what are today's resource-constrained low- and middle-income countries. And those countries comprise roughly 85% of the world's population. And they are wholly ill-prepared to defend themselves against the coming tidal wave of ADRD prevalence. At the moment, a good deal of my time and effort is being directed at measuring the current and prospective burden of ADRD, not just in terms of people and their health, but also in monetary terms. So for starters, it seems patently clear that a key and absolutely necessary ingredient for addressing the challenge of ADRD is resources. Resources for new discovery related to prevention, detection, therapeutic treatment, and models of care. As part of our work with the Davos Alzheimer's Collaborative, my colleagues and I are undertaking to review and approximate the cost of R&D efforts related to ADRD and to try to measure the extent to which they fall short of levels of investment that might be plausibly considered normal or optimal. For example, we'll try to compare dementia's R&D landscape and indicators with the corresponding landscapes and indicators for cancer, for HIV AIDS, and for COVID-19. We'll also try to calculate levels of private and public investment we might otherwise expect to see given estimates or assumptions about economic burdens, reasonable rates of return, and probabilities and degrees of R&D success. And again, please stay tuned for our forthcoming results. David,
1: thank you uh, very much. And we look forward to seeing the results of your work and uh, your building on your prior work in the whole area of uh, non-communicable diseases. Doreen, please tell us uh, more about the recent research you've completed.
3: Thank you, George. Well, Eli Lilly conducted this study led by Rebecca Robinson that was published earlier this year, reporting on the societal costs associated with mild cognitive impairment and mild AD. And these baseline results were the first of its kind to show how early stages of cognitive decline can economically impact both patients and care partners. The interesting part about this study were that societal costs were incurred even earlier than we expected at the stage of mild cognitive impairment. Now, MCI is a stage that theoretically presumes that activities of daily living are less debilitating or in fact preserved. So when this study illustrated that even in MCI, caregiver time was significantly impacted. My impression related to this study is clearly memory loss in a loved one is not a benign event. It has a detrimental impact on caregivers and families long before the diagnosis of AD dementia. So George asked me to come up with three main recommendations to the field based on this study, and here they are. I think it's imperative that we continue to design treatment trials that begin prior to the stage of MCI in order to ameliorate the cost of this devastating disease. I think as Medicare continues to ponder whether to pay for amyloid imaging, this study demonstrates that PET imaging can increase diagnostic accuracy and allow for more focused and timely management, not only of the disease, but also of relevant comorbidities. And finally, care strategies, support, resources need to be directed toward discovering caregiver needs, even in the earliest stage of MCI. Many of these care partners are probably still working and providing for their families. We need to allocate and find support for them.
1: What a fascinating study, Doreen. Well done. So we'll get to some questions after we have these initial opening comments. So, uh, Charles, uh, tell us some more about your analysis of current value assessments.
4: The cost of AD is staggering. There is no doubt. There's no debate. I think that's not something we need to even discuss in this, in this audience. But to give you some context, in the U.S. alone, AD costs over half a trillion a year. Right? Half a trillion. That's greater than the GDP of Sweden. And the annual cost of a nursing home, which is where many severe AD patients uh, end up eventually, is in six figures a year. That's more than twice the median household income for Americans over the age of 65. But these estimates and everything else that we're talking about, all of these are primarily based upon the costs that we know of. Right? Research shows that costs actually start as much as 10 years before a formal diagnosis. And then the costs are complex and dispersed. I think Doreen made some wonderful points around that. I mean, some of these costs are easier to understand, like medical costs, like ER or hospitalization and institutionalization costs. But It's actually the non-medical costs that are the key drivers here and make up the bulk of the cost in this area. Productivity losses in patients themselves, early retirement, workforce impairment, and so on, but also the unpaid caregiver time, right? Reduced productivity on the part of the caregivers. A patient in severe dementia needs about 10 hours of care a day, right? This care in total for patients in the U.S. alone adds up to over 18 billion hours of unpaid care which is valued at over 230 billion annually. So now that we have a number of promising ADDMTs in different stages of development, and therefore we are hopefully closer to turning what has been a dream so far into reality. I think a critical question we need to address as a society is that how do we value these initial innovations? There's a lot of voices that question whether our current value assessment frameworks are adequate in general, whether they capture what is truly meaningful to patients and and what they capture is even more than a sliver of value in general. But then that gets exacerbated in the area of Alzheimer's, given all the massive impact on caregivers in society as well, which hardly ever gets accounted for. So I think the question we need to address is how do we develop robust methodologies to value innovation that will impact not only the future course of medical spending, but then all these other aspects outside of the direct medical spend as well.
1: Uh, Sue Pession, adding to Charles' analysis, I think you have uh, done some thinking about the value assessments uh, in the U.S. context.
5: I'm going to dive a little deeper into Charles's mention of the quality adjusted life years, which are known as the QALY for short. So it's, you know, not a super exciting topic, but it's really important because a lot of times the most boring things can be the most insidious. QALYs are a health economics measure that represents the degree to which a drug or a treatment extends life and improves quality of life. And the QALY assigns a value to a human's life on a scale between zero, which is dead, and one, which is perfect health. I think the broader issue is that the use of QALYs distorts our ethical instincts because it places a lower value on people's lives due to having less years of perfect health ahead of them. And so Alzheimer's disease presents sort of the ultimate moral quandary when it comes to qualities. And Charles mentioned some of the, the reasons why. Alzheimer's tends to impact the oldest old. The Alzheimer's Association finds that of the 5.8 million people with AD who are over the age of 65, that 80% are 75 or older, and more than a third are 85 or older, so not that many life years ahead of them. In addition, a lot of folks with Alzheimer's have comorbidities like congestive heart failure or chronic kidney disease or diabetes, and that further cuts their their perceived value. These types of of ways of value assessment generally don't recognize the, the burden of Alzheimer's disease on family caregivers and, and more broadly on society. So they, you know, on the other side, don't recognize the value that new treatments could have in alleviating that burden. So we really need to develop non-quality alternatives to evaluate new treatments, and they should emphasize the health outcomes that matter to patients.
1: Well, so uh, that uh, really is uh, quite worrisome, uh, to say the least. And obviously, you've raised some really fascinating issues, which uh, we'll get to in a few minutes when we start asking questions. know, amura uh, Japan has made uh, prevention a key focus of its own efforts uh, to uh, reduce the incidence and prevalence of Alzheimer's and related dementias. Tell us why you're that taking that approach and what Japan is doing to help its aging population from developing
6: uh, AD. Thank you, Josh. As you all know, Japan is a super aged society. The 28% of our population is above 65 years old. So, of course, uh, the number of people in dementia is also high. And uh, we have uh, 5 million patients of dementia. And the share percentage of the dementia in whole population is about 4%. I think the figure is the highest among the world. I'm from uh, Ministry of Economy, Trade and Trade, which Industry ministry and our target is to have growth strategy for each industrial sector and we think medical and healthcare sector be have the potential to be growth sector and for that purpose we have one project uh, which i'd like to explain today is our project of multi intervention trial for prevention of dementia It might be easy for you to understand this is a japanese version of famous finger project by finnish government and we started this project this june and the period over this project is about 18 months so we will start this project this year and we'll finish in 2022 the aim is to prove the effectiveness of multimodal dementia prevention program which involves such as physical exercise, nutritional guidance, and cognitive training. Once we get the result of this project, we think this will help the creation of new service for dementia prevention. So uh, many industries, including sports gym or food industry or care home can provide new services based on the result of this project. I think uh, including this project, we are starting many dementia projects, some of them that involves many interpri- private companies. And uh, Japan would like to leave to uh, create the model for, private and public uh, partnership in tackling this dementia. But at the same time, we'd like to learn from other countries. As I explained, that uh, our project is stimulated by other countries, uh, especially in Europe. And so we'd like to learn, still learn from other countries, and we'd like to provide some positive conclusion from our project. Thank you. Uh, thank
1: you, Anna Morrison. David, I'm going to come back to you a second. Uh, you mentioned a number of uh, impacts of Alzheimer's on society, many of which are more social in character. One might character, characterize them as social. So how do you dollarize that? How do you uh, turn that into some, and you're a card-carrying economist, so uh, how do you take into account in dollar terms some of the social impacts that you described? Uh, sort of this non-market uh, activity.
2: Several of us have commented on the caregiver intensity of addressing um, Alzheimer's, and uh, I think that is certainly true. And some of the care takes place in formal settings where we can easily dollarize by looking at costs, long-term care facilities, nurses, etc. But much of it takes, uh, takes place in informal settings. And there we have actually developed, uh, there there are standard methods in economics for monetizing that. Expressing the burden of ADRD in monetary terms is what we need to do to give us a direct line to economic leaders. I'm thinking here of ministers of finance and planning, economic advisors, the prime ministers, and so on. It will give us a direct line to them because it speaks to them in the language they understand and in terms of the outcomes for which they're accountable, namely economic well-being, and poverty mitigation. And it's important to note that these economic policymakers have the power of the purse and also the ears of a multitude of movers and shakers in the private sector. And the theory of change here is that if we can deliver messages that are customized to the interests of economic leaders, that should be a compelling way, or it certainly seems to me to be a compelling way to activate their financial muscles in terms that will support an urgently needed, aggressive, and transformational Alzheimer's agenda.
1: Let us assume that an innovation disease-modifying drug is introduced on the market and creates a wide variety of benefits of economic national growth or national development. How much of the value of that intervention ought to accrue to the manufacturers or to the innovators? Are we looking at a system where, while reimbursement is important, whether there are other non-traditional models of benefit that can be tapped into that might be able to either reward innovators or to find other ways to stimulate
2: innovation. What we're trying to do here is basically to argue that the full societal benefit is a lot higher than what we realized before. And at least I feel like in figuring out where within the range from cost of production to full societal benefit we locate will be moving in the right direction, if you at least locate the endpoints. And I think we've done a poor job of that now. I think that's, that's the gist of, I think, what, what Sue and Charles are basically saying. We haven't valued these interventions properly. And I, I think we can, and it's incumbent upon us to do it. I think the push that Sue's talking about to move away from cost-effectiveness analysis, I applaud, okay? And many of us are working on that. And I think in, in five or 10 years from now, we're going to see a completely different approach to health technology assessment uh, throughout the world. So, Charles, let me turn back to, to you. Are there other ways
1: beyond traditional reimbursement models to stimulate in innovation above and beyond the pricing uh, that uh, is set for the product? So I
4: think a few things for us to think about. First of all is value itself is, an you know, just like your question, it's an extremely layered and nuanced concept, right? How do you value a drug that delays your disease progression? Some will ask uh, Uh, how do you value your parents' ability to go out of the home independently for longer or your spouse's ability to stay with you for longer, do ordinary things together over a period of time, right? I asked somebody, what's a meaningful delay to a patient or to a caregiver? Is it six months, a year, longer? What's a period of time that's valuable? They said that they once asked this same question to a caregiver. And the answer that they received was, if I can receive one extra hour to lay down in the day, And if I can get the value of that time, that's valuable to me, right? But let me not get carried away in that direction and stick to, you know, what we've been talking about, which is the rational sort of health economic angle of the value assessment piece. You've talked about what makes AD unique. While only 16% of the AD costs are incurred by the healthcare system, the vast majority of this cost burden is borne by the patient or the caregiver. So the benefit of any innovation will accrue across a wide number of stakeholders as well by delaying progression is going to result in the patients being able to do things that they want for longer, be productive for longer. It reduces burden on caregivers, reduces medical costs, payer costs, reduce institutionalization, and then reduce societal burden, which is a point that a number of uh, the panelists have made today. So our value assessments really need to use robust methods to include a broader set of value elements. And then the second part of your question centered upon the innovation. Rewarding innovation itself, isn't an end goal, but it's a pathway to ensure that there is incentive to innovate, to create the innovation that patients can get access to. David referred to a couple of these areas, but we have seen the cycle of innovation play out in in areas like cancer, HIV, Hep C. You know, the first innovation sets a high bar. The next one comes, it sets an even higher bar. And we continue to go from there. If we don't adequately
1: incent the innovators in this space, we'll under-innovate, uh, and that will obviously uh, not benefit patients, which is what I am, or at least a patient family. And we will underserve society. So I appreciate the thoughtfulness of this panel, the difficulty of these issues, and appreciate your time and all of your work in this space.
0: Appropriately assessing the value of new innovations is essential to the future of the Alzheimer's field. Societies cannot afford inaction. Researchers, payers, innovators, and advocates are engaged in an ongoing discussion about the best approach. There is consensus that we must include the perspectives of people with the disease and their caregivers. Reflect the full burden to society, including elements and measures of value beyond qualies. Create incentives for innovation that are commensurate with the scale and speed of the crisis. Ensure access to new therapies. These are the building blocks for value assessment to speed progress against Alzheimer's disease, the growing pandemic. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Lausanne Workshop and the Global CEO Initiative on Alzheimer's Disease, please visit usagainstalzheimers.org.